Hello everybody, welcome to Salt and Light. My name is Olga Chikobi. I was born in Limpopo. Uh, I've been staying in Cape Town for a little over three years. Uh, I am here with uh, Ron Kronz from America and he will be talking to us today. Ron Kronz, welcome to yes, Salt and Light. thank you so much. My name is Ron Kronz. I greet you in the victorious name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. And I want to talk about uh, ending abortion and why we want to end it, why we want to end it, and the purposes, and what drives that. And my position is a little bit different from the typical pro-life stance, at least the secular pro-life stance. The secular pro-life stance holds out that we need to that we need to get a majority, and we need to do we need to do this incrementally by regulating abortion and this kind of thing. But the truth of the matter is, is nowhere in God's word are we called to incrementally repent. We repent all at once. In fact, over in Isaiah, the Bible says, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune which they have prescribed to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the day of desolation will it come from afar, which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your glory? The point being to this is that God hates iniquitous decrees, even if they sound like they're good decrees. So when we talk about heartbeat bills or or certain periods of time when we can kill babies, preborn babies, that's a regulating of murder, the kind of regulation that we wouldn't accept for any other age group. Would you accept, for instance, and I'll, I'll make my points uh, over, over the time that we have together, would you accept, for instance, the idea that they were killing pastors, but only pastors 30 to 40 year old, or they were killing women, but only 15 to 25 year old woman, everybody else is okay. Obviously, that wouldn't be acceptable. It's only the pre-born children who get that kind of abuse. And they get, they get that kind of abuse even from the secular pro-life movement. And so I'm going to offer an alternative to the pro-life movement, to the secular pro-life movement, what I call and what others call abolitionism. To be an abolitionist means several things. It follows in the mode of, in the model of the Christians who stood against American slavery in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. Is that you, as Harriet Tubman had said, you don't wound a snake, you crush its head. You, the idea behind what we should be demanding is the complete abolition of child sacrifice in our land, whether it's in South Africa or America, is that God will not hold us harmless. And we can't simply say that we didn't see it, as we'll see in our time together. We didn't know it. There's nobody within the hearing of my voice, whether they're so-called pro-choice, which means pro-death, or if they're pro-life, that does not know that they're killing children. We're all aware of this. So I'm going to give you a couple points uh, that are slightly different, or in fact, radically different from the approach that we've done in the United States and I think in South Africa with regards to ending child sacrifice in our land. And there are five points, and you might take these, take note of these. The first one is that our 
the abolitionist approach is evangelical, it's biblical, it's derived from God's word. We need to be, the reason that abortion is wrong is because it's wicked in the sight of God, not just because it's icky or because it's gross or because it's, it harms women, but because at the end of the day, they're made in the image of God and that name is being blasphemed by the murder of children. Anytime a nation goes downhill spiritually, they descend into child sacrifice. And that's something that you can see biblically. We will look at that probably in a little bit. The second thing is, so we're evangelical. We base our position on God's word without, without embarrassment, without apology, and without shame. It's God's word that we base our view on. The second thing is that we are providential. We, we rely on God's providence rather than man's pragmatism. We don't have to manipulate. So many pro-lifers are saying, well, they will only let us do this, or they will only, the, the culture isn't ready for this uh, or that, the other. And so we think we have to sneak up on the foe. Instead, we need to be direct and honest about what we want. The Bible says in James, you have not because you ask not, and you have not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. The reason we, don't, we, haven't, we haven't required of our legislators to end child sacrifice. So we have to be, rather than trying to manipulate for it or go behind the doors, uh, or any other thing, we need to be above board and straightforward, not pragmatic, but providential, trusting in God for the results. Ours is the duty. His are the results. The third point is that it's gospel-centered. You know, you can't defeat something with nothing. You can't just wish something away. You have to beat something with something. I was teaching at a, I was asked to speak at a pro-life event, oh, several months ago in the United States, and it was a bit of a surprise to the audience. I said, either Jesus Christ is going to lead this or we are going to fail. And if we fail without Jesus Christ, we deserve to fail because God is not going to allow us to have any victories that leave him out. God is not going to be left out of our, any victory. But the pro-life approach has been to try to go forward without Jesus Christ at the center. We need to, the reason that we go for we go forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't it true? We can all know that through the blood sacrifice when Cain killed Abel, that he didn't save anybody. Nobody gets saved by killing their brother. Nobody gets saved by killing a baby. And if you go to the abortion providers, I call them abortion mills. If you go to the abortion providers, you don't see the women coming out dancing and singing and happy. They're, they're, they've been damaged. And now they've done it to themselves, but they have been damaged. They're not set free. It's the blood of Christ that sets people free. And so we need to adjust and stop trying to, trying to uh, sneak Jesus in as a side issue. Jesus is not going to be an aside to any victory. The reason that this is going to fall in our country, in the United States, and in South Africa is because of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ we need to be unapologetic about that. The fourth point that I want to bring up is that it's going to be driven by the body of Christ. It's the duty of every Christian to address and confront the evil of our age, to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
I were to go over, say, to Proverbs and uh, the 24th, 24th chapter, I think, is where I'll go. We would see a picture of that. And the 8th verse, we read, the, we read these words, the 11th verse, 24, 11, Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, your soul, Does he not know it? This is a command from God to deliver those who are being drawn towards death. It's not a suggestion. It's not up for us to say which person is being delivered towards death. If they are being delivered towards death, it is the Christian duty to address that, to love our neighbor as ourselves. In the parable that the Lord Jesus Christ tells of the Good Samaritan, he talks about uh, a priest and a Levite. And of course, they come across a a man who's been wounded, been left for dead. He's going to die. He can't survive apart from some outside help. And these, the Levite and the priest, these two religious guys, they walk on by. But you have to understand something about that parable. The priest and the Levite undoubtedly had a good moral opinion about this. They weren't happy that the guy had fallen prey. They weren't happy that the that the road was so dangerous to walk on. They weren't delighting in him. They were simply unwilling to do anything about it. And that's all that needs to happen for abortion to continue into perpetuity is for believers in Jesus Christ to squeeze by on the other side of the road with their good moral opinions intact, ignoring the cries of the children who are dying, who are voiceless, who have no voice for themselves. We're also told to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. By contrast, the good Samaritan comes and he sees the man and he interposes at his own expense. And I won't lie to you, uh, anti-abortion work is expensive. It, it brings a great deal of opposition, of vitriol, of hatred. Uh, there uh, was a bounty on me at a university to vomit on me. Uh, people, people will threaten us. We'll, uh, we've had, uh, uh, my colleagues have had guns pulled on us. Physical attacks are made against us. But physical attacks were made against Jesus Christ too. When the servant is not greater than the master, we're to interpose at our own expense for those who are in as much, think of this, in as much as we have not done for the least of these, you've not done for Christ. It's not what you've done, but what you have not done. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this, when when, when the priest and the Levite go by the victim who is lying there dying, probably moaning and crying in his own blood, uh, they said, what's going to happen to me if I get involved? And that's the way most pro-lifers think. They think, I don't want to get involved because it's going to cost me more than I want to pay. And so we avoid the conflict. We keep our good moral opinion intact. We stick around people who agree with us and don't actually involve ourselves. What's going to happen to me if I get involved? Whereas the, the Good Samaritan says, what's going to happen to him if I don't? And there are, in the United States now, 63 million babies who've been murdered, butchered, 
burned to death, chemically burned to death, had their body parts pulled off of them, had their skulls crushed. That's what's happening to them because we don't get involved. In the United States, at least twice, I think three times, the pro-life movement has had all three branches of the civil government. Why is abortion still illegal? It's because, why is it still legal? It's because we have not demanded it. Uh, the fourth, uh, th- so we need to be gospel driven. We need to be doing this with the body of Christ instead of subcontracting out to somebody else to do it for us, to love our neighbor for ourselves. Giving to pr- uh, pregnancy resource centers is fine, but it will never end abortion. Those two things can go on in parallel universes forever. So we have to be body driven. And then finally, body of Christ driven, we go for immediatism, and I pointed that out earlier, is that means now, not someday through incremental steps, but as I had said before, God never calls us to repent gradually. We need to repent of this, and we need to repent of it completely, not by little incremental steps. And and we've done, we've seen videos of how uh, for instance, we have heartbeat bills in the United States. If there's a heartbeat detected, you can't kill the baby. And every pro-lifer cheers for those bills. And we say, oh, isn't this great? We have a heartbeat bill. Here's the thing is these people who are killing the babies kill babies for a living. They, does it surprise us that they don't find a, a heartbeat? There's nobody in there checking for a heartbeat. That's a it, it, it's a useless law. It does nothing. It does not save one single life. But what it does do is it makes us feel good about our legislators and keep voting for them and sending money to the pro-life movement that ultimately will never end abortion in our land apart from Christ. Uh, immediatism says we need to we need to end this now. We need to we need to call out for immediate ju- justice on behalf of our preborn neighbors. Uh, an example of how this has been abused by the by the pro-life politicians, and I know this is a very unpopular stance, the pro-life politicians, I, I, I was I was uh, talking to a congressional hopeful in the United States. Uh, it's been a couple years ago now. And this guy, I was explaining to him that what we want if he gets in office is to put forward a, a bill to completely abolish abortion in our land at every stage and for every reason. And he leaned in to me and he shook my hand and he said, Ron, I'm right there with you. I just think we need a couple more seats. In other words, what he was saying is we need a little more power and then we can be faithful. That's not faithful. You're not faithful because you have a majority. You're not faithful because you have a uh, uh, because the culture is with you. You're faithful because God said so and you obey him come what may. And that's what immediatism does. Immediatism says this is wrong. We declare it to be wrong and we demand immediate abolition of child sacrifice, which is what you would do if they were killing 10-year-olds, which is what you would do if they were killing four-year-olds and what you would do if they were killing 60-year-olds. You would do the same thing, but it's only the pre-born. So this is not really a radical position. The radical position 
is the radical compromise that's been going on for 48 years in the pro-life movement by the in the United States. So to recap, you, we're driven evangelically, biblically, secondly, providentially. We don't trust man's pragmatic efforts. We're gospel-centered. And we are driven by the body of Christ. It's the duty of all of us, and we want immediate. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. You would not say that well, they're going to kill uh, children. Let's say you had five children and they raised two, four, six, eight, and ten. You wouldn't say, well, it's okay if they murder two-year-olds. You wouldn't be satisfied that with that for yourself. If you would not be satisfied for with yourself, don't be satisfied by it for your preborn neighbor. With that in mind, so we're saying equal protection for all. That's the idea. And what has happened here, friends, is our pro-life legislations have actually taught the culture that we don't care that much about pre-born babies. We've taught them that because you would never use those same legislative ideas for any other group. We have a friend of mine says, we've catechized the culture. It's a, we've let them know that our good moral opinion is nothing but that, a good moral opinion that we really don't care. We're really not that interested. And so there needs to be a change with the body of Christ. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, give you a couple tips on that. The first thing is we need to be involved in agitation. How would anybody know they're killing babies? We don't talk about it from the pulpit. We don't, we don't talk about it at church. We don't talk about it to, certainly to people who don't agree with us. Uh, if you go to the abortion provider, the abortion provider doesn't put a sign out and say, yay, we're killing babies here. In Washington, D.C., in Planned Parenthood, they have a sign that says out front that says, that says, heroes work here. Heroes, do you hear me? And then in, uh, they also have a sign that says, Black Lives Matters. Ironically and hypocritically so, because the vast majority, there's a disproportionate amount of black babies who are killed via abortion. They don't care about black lives, but we need to be the ones to say that. We need to put this out there. We would certainly, if they were, as I've said before, if they were doing anything that bothered us, uh personally we would be we would be all over this we wouldn't stop talking about it like i said before we've been talking about corona we talk about everything else but we leave this silent we should have placards out there we should be on street corners you shouldn't be able to go anywhere without seeing the reality of what's going on we have allowed the culture to be at peace with child sacrifice we need to be agitating the matter. And the fact is, is so many people want to try to do this without having conflict. That's not the deal. Jesus Christ says, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus Christ also says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. If you want to get through this without making any enemies, you're really not even thinking like a Christian. 
The second thing we need to be doing is information. We need to be informing people of the reality of it. That can be done through tract ministries, through printing out things, talking about it again from the pulpit. We should be discussing this. Again, that's all part of not being at peace with this culture of death. We also need to involve ourselves with legislation, and I'll talk about this more in our next uh, time together, we need to be calling for laws that actually deal with abortion as though it were murder instead of treating it as though it were some misdemeanor or some secondary thing. We need to act like babies are being killed, and we do need to assist. We need to be ready to be the body of Christ. We need to be able to stand up and stand for the stand for the pre-will. We need to actually, when we see uh we have to be able to adopt babies. We have to be able to uh, to help uh, in with specific material needs. Now, and as we talk about this later, we're going to see that they're not killing generally. People are not killing their babies because they lack resources, but still we are the body of Christ and we should be able to assist. We should be able to provide for women. Our church is always reaching out to women that we've seen children saved from. We're always seeing if they have any needs, whether they're and whether they have everything they need. Assistance is very important. Part of our problem and the reason that we haven't had good bills is because we've gone with this idea that women are the second victim. And I want to plug a book for a friend of mine. Uh, his name is C.R. Cali, C-A-L-I, Pastor Cali, C-A-L-I, The Doctrine of Balaam, in which he debunks the second victim fallacy. Here's the truth of the matter, is that anybody who says women are the second victim has spent almost no time at the place where they abort children. And just recently, uh, a father was boasting to me. He says, the baby is in the trash. I said, the what? What I wanted him to pick up on was that he called it a baby, and he was right to call it a baby. He didn't say it was a clump of cells. He didn't say it was a fetus. He knew he had a baby. They're not oblivious. They're not ignorant. They're not uneducated to this. They're killing babies, and I'm going to say this again, because it's convenient. Aborting mothers will often mock, yell, flaunt their abortions. Others will 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 say all sorts of vulgarities towards us. One referred to her child as a expletive and talking about her dead baby. Others brag about how many babies they'd killed. This isn't these this is not a victim. These are not the voices of victims. These are people who are who are dead set on a culture of death. They are, it's convenient. It's easy for them. This is the way bullies play out their God complex. This is the highest. We talk about bullying. I'm so tired about hearing about bullies. You know, bully, bully, bully. Well, what about the, who's being bullied more than the preborn children? When are we going to stand up for them? And so they'll try shocking us, these, these people. Some will say, uh, this is a recurrent one. They brag. They, they eat babies. Wow. That sound like a victim to you? They arrive in nice cars. They're well-dressed. The man in the car is fooling around with Instagram, and presumably the father, sometimes the grandfather. I've been out front and watched the grandfather bringing his grandson or granddaughter to be murdered. These are not victims. And 
And so when we exclude them from prosecution, we run the risk of we, what we really do is we, we, friends, a law that doesn't have a punishment is a suggestion. It's not a law. We have to have laws that have punishment. We have to acknowledge the child has should have the same rights as you or I. And so as I close this time, I want to just say, may the Lord richly bless you as we act as though children are being killed. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Uh, Psalm 139 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. So there you have it, friends. Let us do what is right before um, the eyes of our most high God and let us stop killing babies. Life begins at conception. My name is Olga Chikobi. This is Salt and Light, and we are signing out.